Romans, the first chapter. Um, I, I wasn't sure last Sunday if we were going to be through with chapter 1. And there were just two points that just kept coming back to me, coming back to me. And uh, I want to make sure that we looked at and that we talked about and that we looked at other Scripture to to back all of that up. Let, let Scripture speak of Scripture. Uh, that, that's always what we want to do. And so what I want us to do again, I want us to read that same opening passage we did last Sunday, uh, beginning at verse 16, and let's read all the way down through the remainder of the chapter. And in the midst of just reading this, I pray that, that we are really seeking the Lord, and I pray that we have a heart of Word of God speak. And I pray that, that, that we are seeking Him to the point of saying, Lord, open my eyes that I may see and, and teach me more. Show me in greater depth Your Word and give me understanding. So, just let me pray that even right now. Heavenly Father, what we know not, Teach us what we have not. Give us, and Lord, perhaps most of all, who we are not, make us. For Christ's name and for His sake I pray. Amen. Amen. Verse 16, New King James Version. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. For the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also, the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Now that's quite a load from Scripture. And I'm sure as, as we read that 
different things stood out to different people. I have found that's how the Holy Spirit works. He knows where each and every one of us are. He knows, if I could say the maturity level, how mature we are. And He will bring us along. And last week I focused quite a bit upon the sexual sins found in verses 24 through 27. Because all those these things have been around, because we, we talked about the time of Paul and, and the things that he was seeing even at that time, and, and nothing new under the sun is still here, but it seems it is so prevalent that you cannot get away from it. It's just in your face. And... And statistically, uh, you know, just going by, we, we watched a Vody Bachman, uh, Bachman, uh, video Friday night and just talking of, uh, just going by what I didn't look it up, uh, but, but just the percentage of the population that falls into these categories uh, of sexual sin that we really expanded on last week is thought to be well under 4% of the population. But this, Minuscule four percent is getting monster press, and Lord help us, Lord help us, because we're seeing more and more and more of people exchanging the truth of God for the lie. It's becoming more prevalent in our government. People getting put in cabinet positions, people being elected to office, turning their backs on the Word of God, exchanging the truth of God for a lie. And I pointed out last week, and I'll just mention it again, because we stressed so much those particular sexual sins, remember that all sin is sin. All sin is sin. Don't take this and say, well, at least I'm not like them. Well, praise the Lord, you're not like them, but in light of the truth of God's Word and His commandments, where do you stand on a lot of God's commandments? How are you doing in your obedience? From the seemingly harmless sin to the most vile sin that you could even imagine, sin is sin. And let us never forget that. And then Paul gives us this large list, and and I believe I said last week that that it's not a comprehensive list. It's not all, uh, everything listed there, but it's a partial list. And and I want to just read uh, verse twenty. 9 through 31, one more time. Now, as we get ready to read this, I'm going to say what I said earlier. Look at what's on here. And oh yeah, a lot of these sins you can say, that's not me. But is there some that you could say, wait a minute, why is that one in there? And, and let me say this, because, and we're going to talk about this a little bit later. This is one of those points that I wanted to talk about because it says those who practice these things. Even a born-again child of God can succumb to a temptation to do momentarily something from this list. Correct? In a, in a temporary, but it, but it won't be forever. That the Lord will come for us, He will convict us, He will... Discipline us if necessary and bring us to a point of repentance. But the key thing that we're going to talk about is practice and is this a pattern of life and this is what you do over and over and over again. Because if there's anything on this list that is your life, you need to examine yourself as to whether or not you are of the faith. Let's read, being filled with all unrighteousness. Now, if there was an all-encompassing 
one of these, it's that one. Unrighteous. Unrighteous. Yet far from God. An unbeliever. With all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, which is what was expounded on to quite a depth last Sunday, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness. Do we guard the words we say? Or do we lash out? Full of envy, murder, strife. When we walk into a situation, does it become more peaceful? Or is it ramped up into strife? Or put it another way, when we walk away, does things get more peaceful? Think about it. Deceit, lies, holding back information, evil-mindedness, perhaps that might get into our thought life. What do we meditate on? What's our thoughts? Do we think on things of the Lord? Then you go to Philippians, those things that are worthy Think on these things. They are whisperers, backbiters. I think you can take those two words and somebody who will talk behind your back and stab you in the back and, and whisper and spread rumors and lies. Haters of God, violent, Proud, pride is a tremendous sin, is it not? And then along with that, boasters, inventors of evil things. There's there's something a little bit different. Inventors of evil things. Disobedient to parents. I've always wondered what you younger folks, you children, think of that. Are you consistently disobedient to parents? That you are more disobedient than you are obedient? Because look at the category that it puts this in. This is is a sin the same as murder in the eyes of God. I, I, I want us to understand that. That's the depth of sin. And sin is sin. Whether it's murder, whether it's disobedience to parents, sin is sin. Undiscerning, untrustworthy. Are you a person of your word that that what you say, your yes means yes and your no means no and people can count on you? Unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful are you the one that just always wants mercy to come your way but you don't want to extend mercy to anyone else it's quite a list and we're going to read some more of paul's list in a little bit but now put verse 32 by itself you knowing the righteous judgment of god that those who practice such things are deserving of what say it with me Death. The wages of sin is death. Those who practice these things. In the Greek, practice indicates a continuous, regular action. To practice sin is to speak of the habitual pattern of the unforgiving or the unrighteous. There is no remorse, there is no brokenness, there is no thought of repentance. Now, I will say this though, often when the 
unrighteous get caught, there's remorse, isn't there? There really is. There's re- when they get caught, because there's there's consequences to them getting caught, and and so there's remorse, and and but but it's mostly just sorry because they've been caught. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, you're sorry you got caught. But but listen to this. Uh, Barb got this uh, uh, off of something, and and I wrote this down. Here's talking about sorry. Here's the thing about sorry. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Here's the thing about sorry. It's just a word. It doesn't erase what you did. It doesn't fix anything. It's an announcement. I'm sorry. It's everything you do after sorry that proves if you really are. That's good, isn't it? That's good. Here's the thing about sorry. It's just a word. It doesn't erase what you did. It doesn't fix anything. It's an announcement. It's everything you do after you say, I'm sorry, that proves if you really are. Parents use that. And it's not just for kids. It's for us adults too. Will we prove? Will we prove? Because we can say we're sorry and go back and do the same thing within five minutes. Get caught again? Sorry, sorry, sorry. Because I know some of you parents deal with this. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And you discipline. You do everything you can. And then you deal with the same thing. Again. And again, and again. And I know in the hearts of many of these younger ones, they don't understand the depths of the problem they have. And so we pray that the Lord in His timing and in His way will draw everyone to Himself and at some point open their eyes that they might see the depth of the sin and the sinner that they are. And the Lord would shine light into darkness and draw them to Himself. Grant them faith to believe. Let them see their sin and cry out for true forgiveness and say, Lord, I'm sorry. From a true heart of brokenness. Those who practice these things. Habitual pattern of the unforgiven or the unrighteous. Now let's read Galatians 5, verses 19 through 21. Uh, verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Now, let me, let me pause there just for a moment. All of us walking around on this earth are in the flesh in that we are still in this body. And, and I'm, I don't believe that this time when we have the word flesh, it's talking about identity, you're either flesh or your spirit. I, th- I think this is just talking about we're walking around. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are, and here's another one of Paul's lists, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, Sorcery. See, we're getting a few new things in there, aren't we? And I think it's good that we get a, get a few new things thrown in there. Because I tell you that, you know, sorcery, oh, I don't know nothing to do with sorcery. Well, again, I'm going to come back to parents. Guard the games your kids play. Guard the movies that they watch. Oh, it's just fantasy. It's just, it's just. Or per, but perhaps it may put a little spark in there. Well, I want to check this out a little more. Do you understand? Do you understand? So be vigilant. Be vigilant. Now the works of the flesh are evident. 
which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you before, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not, will not, will not inherit the kingdom of God. The word is clear, is it not? Those who practice these things speaks of those who do not know Christ. Their life is a life of sin and they will not inherit the kingdom of God. They will not go to heaven. Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23. Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Jesus speaking. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day. See, there's, there's a, here's a, perhaps no sadder verse. No sadder thought than this. Many, Jesus says, many, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Uh, King James versions, ye that work iniquity. In other words, you that practice sin. You go back to those lists. Practice your practice. And, and, and Jesus spoke these same words. You who practice lawlessness in, in the explanation of the parable of the wheat and the tares. And I'm going to go ahead and read that. Is okay? I know perhaps perhaps you haven't read this for a while. So so let's go to Matthew 13. Let's read verses 24 through 30. This is the parable, and then it'll it'll be a few verses further down uh, where where the disciples ask him. Well, explain that to us. So Matthew 13. Uh, we're going to read first verses 24 through 30. This is Jesus, another parable he, Jesus, put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while he slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. Now, now tares would be something, you, a, a weed, let's, let's just say a weed. Something you wouldn't want in your garden, that you wouldn't want coming up in in this nice area that you sowed. Perhaps it's a garden. Perhaps it's your lawn. Perhaps you'd want some good grass. And now here's this junk that's coming up in it. Okay, so that, there, there's kind of a picture. Uh, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So you got the good, you got the bad. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, do you not, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. The servants said to him, Do you want us to go and gather them up? Go pull up the tares. But he said, No, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. So do you see, they go in, if they pull up the weed, you're going to pull up some good stuff with it. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, first, gather together the tares and bind them in bundles and burn them. But gather the wheat into my barn. Now, we... 
we know the end of the story, don't we? And, and we know what that's talking about. But let's go to, let's drop down to verse 36. Verse 36 through 43. Because who better to explain the parable that he just gave than Jesus himself? Verse 36, Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house. And His disciples came to Him saying, Explain to us the parable of the tares in the field. And here's Jesus. He answered and said to them, He who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom. But the tares are are the sons of the wicked one. Do you get in the picture? You're getting God's children. You're getting the lost, the sons of the wicked one, those who the devil is their father. So here's what you got. This is the world. This is what you've got. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of this age. At the end of this age, the, the end, when, when the Lord says, time on earth is done. So the end of the age. So picture it, whenever this happens, picture this. If, if we go by this, what's going to happen first? Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned, it said uh, the time of harvest, therefore is the time of earth. So be, and so this, the Son of Man will send out His angels and they will gather out of His kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness. In other words, uh, the King James, them who do iniquity. So who's getting gathered up as the tares, those who practice sin and lawlessness. Verse 42, and what will happen to these? And will cast them into the furnace of fire. Where's this? Call it hell. Call it the lake of fire. The the very end will be the lake of fire. And what what will be going on down there? There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. But what about the born again? Verse 43. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. In other words, Jesus is saying, listen up. This this is a, a picture of the difference between your eternity and Heaven or hell. The presence of God are forever absent from Him in torment. 1 John 3, verse 10. 1 John 3, verse 10. In this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest, are are made known. You will know. You, You will know the difference. How are they made known? Whoever does not practice... Now, now here we've got to change. Here we've got to change. It's not talking about practice lawlessness. Now what's it saying? Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. So, so we got a little bit of turn on it, don't we? Whoever does not practice righteousness, that righteousness is not their pattern of life, who, who should have a practice of righteousness? The, the believers. Those born again. That's an evidence that you know that they're born again. Because they practice righteousness. Those who practice these things. I hope we're clear on, on what this is a picture of. Those who practice these things. It's their pattern of life. It's what they do. They, they do these sins, they do these things with, with no brokenness, no remorse, nothing except the occasional, I'm sorry, because they got caught. But no repentance, no true repentance. Nothing that follows the I'm sorry that will say that they were truly sorry. 
So I, I want to go to another passage that I read last Sunday. It wasn't from Romans 1. This is 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 11. And this is Paul. Is his message consistent? Yeah. Yes, it is. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 11, and such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, <laughs> but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. And, and, and to that, the children of God should say, praise the Lord, amen. Bodhi pointed this out, that, that some will say, those in the homosexual lifestyle cannot change. And they will go even further to say, it is unloving of you to ask them to change or to point out their error that they may change because they can't help it. But, Paul debunks that, doesn't he? Because there were some homosexuals and sodomites some 2,000 years ago and such were some of you. Some of you once homosexual. Some of you once sodomites. But you were washed. <laughs> That's mercy. That's mercy. That's mercy. But you were washed. That, that, that speaks of new life. That speaks of regeneration. Uh, and, and I get that from Titus 3, verses 4 through 7. Well, Titus 3, verses 4 through 7. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done. Could, could we, let me pause there. Could we ever do enough righteous acts on our own? No, no, no. And I'll ask it again. All of our righteous acts are nothing but filthy rags. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit whom He poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior that having been justified by His grace we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. When a person is washed by Jesus, they are born again. They have been regenerated, if you want to use that term. They have been recreated, if you want to use that term. They have been made new. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, you know this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Let me pause there. He is, they have become something that wasn't before. Didn't exist. At least for them. Once darkness, no light. But now they have been made new. New. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. But you were washed. And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified. Let me, let me speak of that just for a moment. Sanctified speaks of a new behavior. To be sanctified is to be made holy inwardly and to be able by the power of the Holy Spirit to live a righteous life outwardly. I, th I thought that was good. To be sanctified is to be made holy, to be made holy inwardly 
that we may be able, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to live a righteous life outwardly. See, before a person is saved, before they have been born again, they have no holy nature. They have no capacity for holy living. You to ask somebody who is an unbeliever to live a righteous and holy life. Well, they, they, there are some moral people in this world, aren't there? There, there are some moral sinners that they live a life that is, if you want to say, clean cut. That they stay away from certain things and, and they have an appearance or perhaps they, they might be Christian. But, but, the, but without the Holy Spirit, without being born again, they're not. Before a person is saved, before they have been born again, they have no holy nature and no capacity for holy living But in Christ Jesus, we are given a new nature, empowered by the Holy Spirit to live this new life in Christ. No one can live it without the power of the Holy Spirit inside. That's why someone with a false profession can try to pull themselves up by their own bootstraps and perhaps for a time chug along But in time, that which sprung up will wither and die because it was not real. And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, now justified speaks of our new standing before God. This, This is our new identity. It speaks of our identity with Christ. I identify now with Christ. See, the justified have have been clothed in the righteousness of Christ, and God sees us now through the righteousness of His Son instead of our sin. Our sins cast now as far as the east is from the west. Uh, that, that song, Our Sins, They Are Many, that, that lyric, uh, omniscient, omnipresent. But He counts not the sum of our sin. Now, clothed in the righteousness of Christ and the redeemed, the born again, will now stand before God the Father, holy, blameless, and above reproach. Let's read just Colossians 1, verses 21 and 22. And you, who once were alienated and and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now He has reconciled in the body of His flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in His sight. That's what the work of the cross did. That's what the the saving power of the Holy Spirit. We, We receive an imputed righteousness. A righteousness not of our own, of our own doing, but of Christ. Not by works of righteousness which we had done from from Titus. So it's not our righteousness, but it's Christ. It's given to us who believe. And and Paul speaks of this in, in regard to Abraham who believed God and did not waver at the promises of God, and this belief was credited to Abraham for what? Righteousness. For righteousness. How did anybody in the Old Testament get saved? Yes. Well, how did they get saved? Jesus had died on the cross. They got saved because they believed God. And here's the, the prime example that you go to is Abraham. Let's read it from uh, Romans 4, verses 20 through 25. Romans 4, 20 through 25. He, and this is Abraham, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. 
and being fully convinced that what he, what the Lord had promised, he was also able to perform. Now, now, now keep the he's in the right person here. And being fully convinced that what he, the Lord, had promised, he, the Lord, was also able to perform. As, as God ever failed on any of his promises? Never. Never. He is able to perform and, and keep every one of his promises. Verse 22, and therefore it was accounted to him, it was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. Because he didn't waver at the promise of God, because he believed God, because he was strengthened in his faith and he gave glory to God. Verse 23, now it was not written for his sake, for Abraham's sake, now, now keep this. Now, now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him, who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, and who delivered and was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. That's, that's what Christ did. He died on the cross. He rose again for our justification. So we have the example of imputed righteousness for Abraham. And, and Paul says, oh, don't think it was just for him. That's for us. That's for us. It shall be imputed. It shall be given to us who what believe. How often do we read passages like this? It's for us who believe. Who believe in Him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. Who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. This righteousness is granted to all who believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there's the question that hangs in the air, at least for me. Do you believe? Do you believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ? That, that Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty, pay, pay in full the penalty for sin for all who would believe. That Jesus died on the cross and in three days He rose again so that we would have a living hope that when we die, we too will be raised into eternal life with Jesus Christ. And I know I've said it many times, you either believe unto eternal life with Christ or you remain in your unbelief and the wrath of God abides upon you. Even while you're living on this earth, you are treasuring up, you are storing up for yourselves wrath. John 3, verse 36. What, what better one to listen to than Jesus Christ Himself he who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Everlasting life to the believer, the wrath of God for the unbeliever. Blessed are those who believe. Let's read Romans 10, verses 9 through 13. Romans 10. 9 through 13. Because I hope you see, do you see how much we've read from other portions of Romans today? And do you see that Paul laying the groundwork in chapter 1 that's going to be expounded upon throughout the rest of this letter? And we read this perhaps almost every Sunday from Romans 10. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness. Now let me pause there for a moment. Because think back what has Paul said in chapter 1 of the heart of these unrighteous, those who practice sin, their foolish hearts were darkened 
They're yet in darkness. And so now he's using that word hard again. Because this, this is our mind. This is our thoughts. This is, this, is, this is who we are. For with the heart, with our whole being, one believes unto righteousness. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. For the Scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. John 5, verse 24. Let's just read a few of these. John 5, 24. Most assuredly, I say to you, this is Christ, he who hears my word and believes in me, who sent me, has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment. Shall not come into, you see, the wrath of God. Shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. If we go into chapter 6, John 6, let's take verse 40. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son, who sees Christ, and believes in Him may have everlasting life, and I will raise Him up at the last day. Verse 47 in John 6, Most assuredly I say to you, He who believes in Me has everlasting life. And it's only through Christ. It is all by the Lord's grace and mercy that we were saved through faith. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. I got ESV here, I guess. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And I'm assuming I put ESV here. This says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. This wasn't you. This wasn't you. It's a gift of God. It's a gift of God. You see, and, and Paul knew that he was not worthy of this mercy and grace. 1 Corinthians 15 Verses 9 and 10. It's the Apostle Paul. And I know it was, I guess, a year ago or more more than a year ago, we did the introduction to Romans and we talked of, of Paul's life before the Damascus Road experience and all the things that he had done and persecuted the church and had, had uh, helped in, in putting people to death and was even there at the stoning of Stephen. He was the one who held the coats the cloaks of those. And here's Paul in Romans, 1 Corinthians 15, 9 and 10. For I am the least of the apostles. Their humility in the apostle Paul. For I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle. Because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace toward me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was in me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we give thanks for Your Word. And I pray for those born-again believers who have heard this today, that it would just be a reminder of Your great mercy and that one day You called us out of darkness. And it's all by Your mercy and grace. We were all undeserving all sinners, all enemies of You. But yet, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And Father, we give You thanks. Because every one of us should have that thought. Yet, for the grace of God, that could be me. 
yet in sin. That could be me still practicing sin. That could be me still lost and on my way to hell. But it's by your grace that we are saved. And Father, should there be someone listening even now, or, or that will perhaps listen to this sermon later, that is yet lost in their sin, that they are practicing sin and they know it. They may not want to admit it. But they know that their lifestyle does not match what they have heard from Scripture. And so, Father, I, I know apart from a miracle of regeneration that, that it would have no effect on them. That they would just say, the Bible's just a bunch of garbage anyway, and go on their merry way, eat, drink, and be merry. But Lord, perhaps for some, that You, by the truth of Your Word and the power of Your Holy Spirit, may shine light into darkness so that they might see their sin, that they might know that they are separated from You, that they are on a path of destruction, and Father, and show them the rescue. Show them the ransom, the payment for sin through the blood of Jesus Christ. And Father, grant them faith to believe. Grant them repentance. Grant them a heart that will now turn from unrighteousness and now be on their way to learning how to practice righteousness. So Father, help us all that we might live for You and to know You and the power of the resurrection. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.